We're going to dive in deeper than what we did here this morning. Now, uh, for you kids, this, this first part may not be as exciting as some of the things that we're going to cover at 5 o'clock. That part, if you're a third grader, you're going to love it from 5 o'clock on, guaranteed. But we want to dive a little deeper to get into some very interesting, important information when it comes to worldview. Because everybody has a worldview. Everybody is religious. Even an atheist is religious. Uh, you know, I did a debate at Wayne State, and uh, this professor, oh man, he was mad. And an uh, older guy, older gentleman, and he was just shaking angry, just angry. And he said, you know, you shouldn't be here. You're trying to take your, your religion and your faith, and you're trying to put it off as science, and you're confusing these kids. You shouldn't even be here. I'm just waiting for a heart attack. You know, I'm just like three, two. This guy's going to drop. And uh, I said, sir, let me ask you something. I said, this atomic particle that existed that the evolutionists call a singularity, that about 18 to 20 billion years ago, they say, this atomic particle existed, and it blew up into what we call the Big Bang. And I said, let me ask you, I said, this singularity, this atomic particle that existed, what do scientists say at this point where that singularity came from? He said, we don't know. I said, so at this point, science has no explanation for where this atomic particle came from? He said, no. I said, so what you're telling me then is you have to believe that it existed by faith. Yes. I mean, I was like, three, two, he is going, okay? But he admitted it, and I give him credit for that. You see, this is what we call logic. Logic shows us that you either believe in eternal God or eternal matter. Both can't be. The problem is eternal matter, believing that this atomic particle always existed, goes against laws of science. Laws that are there, that all of science operates under, but yet in order for that to be true, you have to break the law. This is what we call an inconsistency. Now, maybe some of you are evolutionists here, okay? I'm going to be up front. I don't want to sneak up on you. I don't want to, you know, hey, well, this is what, you know. I believe the earth is only about 6,000 years old. You can mock me. You can laugh. And you can think, oh, that's ridiculous. But I just ask that you hear me out. I have not found any science yet that disagrees with what I believe. I don't care if it's chemistry, whether it's biology, whether it's geology, it doesn't make any difference. It all supports exactly what my worldview is. And this is the fault of evidence. We'll talk about this more, but evidence is always interpreted by our worldview. And so I'm not here to be able to, you know, to, to prove you wrong. Okay? If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, great. I'm not saying you're going to hell and you're not a Christian because you don't believe the way I do. But what I'm hoping to show you today is this that whatever we believe, whatever our worldview is, needs to be consistent with the world around us. Okay, It needs to be consistent with what we practice in our everyday lives. And the only way to remain consistent is to stand on the Word of God without cutting it up and moving it around and reinterpreting it. It's the only way to be consistent, and you'll see and understand that as we go throughout the day. You see, 
If you're going to believe in that atomic particle, you break laws of science like the first and second law of thermodynamics to believe that it existed. And I'm not going to get into that and bore you with those details right now. Uh, another example, the origin of life. Where did life come from? How many of you saw the, the uh, DVD Expelled or the movie when it was out? It was a documentary. Okay. Wow, only that... You guys need to get and watch Expelled. It is fantastic. Ben Stein, uh, he did this documentary on creation and teaching creation and whatnot. You need to see, because he keeps asking them, where did life come from? And he goes to Richard Dawkins and all these other famous evolutionists of today, Hawkins and others. And they cannot answer where life came from. Why? Because it breaks the laws of science. We have a law called biogenesis. It's in our textbooks. Every secular school is going to teach you the law of biogenesis, which says life cannot come from non-life. And then three pages later they say, but it happened. How? We can't get it. You know, well, on the backs of crystals, well, here's a crystal. It formed in water. Here's a bottle of water. Take it back to your lab. Get me some life. But they can't. Because it's a law of science, which means everything we have observed follows this law. But yet they're saying that billions of years ago, life came about. Yet they can't explain why, but they demand that we teach it. That's inconsistencies. All kinds of inconsistencies. You know, it's funny to me that you can go to Richard Dawkins, and he will make it his very purpose in life, to tell you that you have no purpose in life. That's an inconsistency, isn't it? They're going to tell you that you know, you're the most special thing in the world. Their kids are the most special thing in the world, yet they you know, go to school, they'll go home and hug their kids as something special, but then they teach you at school that you're just an earthworm, right? that you came from scum. That's an inconsistency. If we're going to live a consistent world According to evolution, I think we ought to get rid of hospitals. I mean, if the survival of the fittest, and we want the fittest to survive, I don't want those dumb snowboarders who can't avoid the trees to pass their genes on. I mean, if you can't stay away from the ho-hos and the ding-dongs, then I don't want your genes passed on. We ought to just let you die, shouldn't we? I mean, if we're going to be consistent... And unfortunately, many out there are proposing that we be consistent with the teachings of evolution. And, and there, I even saw on our local news channel not too many years back where they were saying, women, if your husbands cheat on you, don't get so upset. That's natural. It's just evolution. I mean, that's how it goes. And so it's natural for men to, to cheat on their wives. But these are the kind of things that they promote. Adolf Hitler loved Charles Darwin. He used Darwin as his means of trying to get rid of the inferior race. Now, by the way, they're not inferior. But that's what evolution teaches, isn't it? That some races are inferior than, uh, than others. Matter of fact, we often hear about Darwin's book, Origin of Species, but that wasn't the full title of his book. Origin of Species by Natural Selection and the Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. That's the title of his book. Favored Races? Which ones are the favored races? 
And so it's not politically correct in our country to talk about favored races. But in other countries it is. The Aborigines, they used to be run off of cliffs like buffalo. Do you know that in the Chicago Museum and others, we have, there are actually skulls of Aborigine people because they used to be studied as animals, form of a missing link of evolution. This is what evolution brings us, and it is filled with inconsistencies. You see, a worldview here is a network of presuppositions that are untested by science through which all experience is interpreted, and frankly, it is untestable. Like I said, everybody has a worldview. Now, what I think is interesting is the Bible tells us that we need to have a biblical worldview if you're going to come to, to truth. Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. If you do not have a fear of the Lord, how are you going to find wisdom? You see, I believe that there are many fools at, at Harvard and Yale and Princeton. Why? Because the Bible says the fool says in his heart, there is no God. You see, you can get all kinds of knowledge. You can learn your ABCs and one, two, threes. However, without the fear of the Lord, you will not have the wisdom to apply those ABCs to life in a wise way. You won't know what to do with that knowledge. You will take that knowledge and you will turn it into foolishness. And I believe that's what's happened in our country. We've taken knowledge, many of these, uh, these evidences that we see all around us from science, and we've turned them into foolishness and thinking that there could be life on outer space planets. We'll talk about, touch on that a little later. We've turned it into thinking that we came, you know, goo turned into zoo, which then turned into you. That's foolishness. We don't know what to do with the knowledge because we don't have the fear of the Lord. And so I stand up here unapologetically to say that my worldview is a biblical one. And so if you're here hoping just to hear science without the Bible, I'm sorry, I can't. Because all of the science is going to be interpreted through my worldview. Has to be. And that is really what we're going to talk about here. We see in Colossians, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You want wisdom? You want knowledge? I can promise you one thing. You will never find it apart from Christ. Because only in Christ will these things be found. And, and I've, uh, I get this. I used to be blind. Colossians 2.8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Guys, evolution is one of these things that is one of these deceptions, the traditions of men. It is not scientific. I can give any of you a quarter million dollars for one scientific evidence of true evolution taking place what we call macroevolution, a dinosaur turning into a bird, whatever. Human coming from a monkey. Quarter million dollars. And nobody can take that money because you cannot prove evolution scientifically. It's impossible. But yet we hear, oh, it's a fact. Is it? You'll see that it's not a fact at all. By the way, I can't prove creation to you either. So if you're here so I can prove creation to you, sorry, I can't. Because again... I can't prove anything that happened in the past because we can't scientifically observe it today. So 
We're both in the same boat. You can't prove evolution and you can't prove creation. The only difference is this. I have somebody who left me a record telling me what happened. And it's coming from the Bible. That's the record. And that Bible has 25, over 25,000 archaeological sites to support that it is true. That Bible has historical records of people who didn't even believe that Jesus was the Messiah supporting it to be true. That Bible has been proven throughout all of history to be accurate and trustworthy. People say, oh, the Bible's filled with contradictions. Oh, really? Give me one. Because here's the problem. If you think you found a contradiction in the Scripture, I'll tell you this, you just don't know the Scriptures well enough to find the answer yet. I've yet to find a contradiction in the Bible. There are explanations for them. You just haven't studied the Bible well enough to understand it. But like I said, all evidence is going to be interpreted. Carbon-14. You see, we, we use carbon-14 dating and things like that. Carbon-14 is a radioactive element, and it decays. And as it decays, it, it decays at a measurable rate. So it has a half-life of 5,730 years. What that means is half of it will disappear in 5,730 years. Another 5,730 years, half of the half will disappear. In another 5,730 years, half of that goes away. And as you can see, it doesn't take very many 5,700-year cycles until there's no, not enough measurable carbon-14 to date. Well, we believe diamonds form millions of years. It took millions of years for them to form, right? So therefore, there should be no measurable carbon-14 in diamonds anymore. The problem is, when we actually measure the carbon-14 in diamonds, there's a, a plentiful amount of it there. That tells me that their theory is not being supported by observable science. Something's wrong here. But in fact, carbon dating diamonds dates them to be about 38,000 years old. Now, that's older than the 6,000 years that I believe the Earth is, but there are explanations as to why they're going to give older dates. But we're not going to get into that during this session here for now, but just know that. Comets. Okay, comets, every time they do an orbit near the sun, they start burning up. And that means that they can't orbit the sun very many times before they're gone. This is why even evolutionists say that a comet has a very short lifespan. At best, 100,000 years. Most people even say 10,000 years. So at very best, you could get a comet that would only last 100,000 years. Now here's the problem. We've seen comets. If the universe, Earth is 4.6 billion years old, how come I still see a comet? It should have been gone million, billions of years ago. You see, we both have the same evidence, comets. And evolutionists will look at that same evidence and interpret it with their worldview and say, well, we know the Earth is 4.6 billion years old and there's a, new com there's a comet, it's got to be new. Where did it come from? Well, I don't know, but... There must be some kind of cloud out there called the Oort cloud that these things get knocked into our atmosphere somehow. As a matter of fact, Jan Oort in 1950 proposed that this Oort cloud was out there. 1950. Now the funny thing about it is nobody has seen the Oort cloud. They say this thing is 50,000 astronomical units away. What's an astronomical unit? the distance between the Earth and the Sun, or 93 million miles. 
Now let me put this in perspective for you. Pluto is 39 astronomical units away. 39. Now what do we know about Pluto? We can't even decide if it's a planet. And yet this Oort cloud is 50,000 astronomical units away. Nobody has ever seen it. Not even the Hubble telescope. Jan Oort himself never saw it. It's a hypothetical cloud that they think has to exist because we see comets. That's their rescue device, and everybody's got one. You see, if it doesn't fit your worldview, what do you do? You come up with some kind of explanation, logical or not, to explain it. And that's what evolution is filled with, these rescuing devices, things that don't fit the worldview of evolution. And by the way, I've seen Christians do this too. I grew up not knowing whether or not dinosaurs existed. Why? Because my parents didn't know how dinosaurs would fit into the Bible or how the Bible fit into dinosaurs. And so what they told me was, well, maybe they existed, maybe they didn't. We didn't know. They were willing to deny outright evidence of dinosaur bones to keep their worldview. So it's not just evolutionists who do this. Everybody can be guilty. But again, what I'm challenging you is, since everybody has a worldview, is to at least have a worldview that will remain consistent. So keep that in mind. The Bible is going to be the foundation for, for my worldview. And I said that before. If the Bible were not proved, man couldn't prove anything. Because it is the only thing that we have that remains consistent historically, archaeologically, scientifically, in every area, it remains consistent. And I don't really like the word prove, but I, I couldn't show you anything without this. Because the reality is this. Why do we have morals? I mean, morality, where does it come from? If evolution is true, you see, your brains had to evolve differently than the brains on the other side of this room, even the brain next to you. Every brain should have evolved. And we should evolve differently on different parts of the earth. So our brains should have come together differently. Yet, do you know that no matter where we go in the world, we have the same moral values? On the other side of the earth, they have the same moral values that we do here. Now, so what does an evolutionist say about this? Since your brain is just chance chemicals and enzymes that have come together, why do we think the same with morality? Well, they'll say it brings the most happiness to the most people. So morality just naturally comes about because it, we just gravitate towards happiness. Well, if that's the case, it would be good, right, and moral for us to get rid of rich people because statistically poor people are happier than rich people. I mean, statistics, that's what they say, so shouldn't we get rid of them? Now, you see, this is just completely inconsistent. Others say, no, 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 no. We get morals because a majority of society agrees upon it for the benefit of society. That's where morals come from. Oh, so Adolf Hitler was a good moral person. Right? He got a number of society to agree what would be best for society is get rid of the weaker links. So he'd be a good moral person according to that definition. Well, obviously that's not a good definition, is it? You see, an evolutionist cannot answer where morals come from. They can't. There is no evolutionary paradigm explanation to explain where morality comes from. 
Yet the Bible does seem to tell us we have morals because as Romans 2.15 says that the requirements of the law have been written on our hearts. God has placed His law on your heart. That's why when you break God's law, you go and steal, you murder somebody, you know automatically that you've done wrong. You see, the Bible gives me an explanation. Evolutionists can't answer it. Now, some will try and say, no, 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 Brian, you're wrong. Morality isn't the same. You go to India, and you know what? They don't eat cows over there. It's immoral to eat cows. And you, you eat, you know, steaks and beef, hamburgers. You have a different moral value. Uh, no, we don't. You see, in India, they don't eat cows because that could be grandma and grandpa. I don't eat grandma and grandpa. The moral value doesn't change. It's just the understanding of why. And so the moral values are the same all over the world. Hebrews 8, it says that I will put my law in their minds and write them on their hearts. Again, the Bible explains why we see these things. And like I said today, you know, animals don't have a conscience. They don't have a spirit. You don't see a cat sitting in the corner saying, I can't believe I killed a mouse. Oh, no. No, it's natural for a cat to kill a mouse. It's just what they do. They don't have those morals. They don't have the law of God written on their hearts. Okay? You see, this is why we cannot argue just the evidence. I could give you, you know, I could stand up here and talk about science till I was blue in the face, but science will never bring anybody to faith. Because science falls short. Only the Word of God, the Spirit of God, can bring people to faith. And that's why I, never, I don't care when I go do a debate, I don't care how public the university is. I will always share the gospel because without it, I have nothing to stand on. The intelligent design movement, I think it's a great stuff. There's some really good stuff in the intelligent design movement, but there is a fault with it. It doesn't go far enough. It's powerless. To say that there has to be a designer, but without telling us that, that, God, that God is that designer, falls short. A worldview safety device that an evolutionist has is what keeps them from allowing them to say, yes, the Bible is true. They can't. Their worldview will not allow it. And so, if I'm going to say, but the Bible says, oh, nope, 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 we're not talking about the Bible. Nope, nope, nope. Science only. Empirical science. That's where we find truth. We can't find it in the Bible. Well, what they're saying is, you can't argue the Bible if people won't accept the Bible. Right? And we fall into this trap many times. Don't argue using the Bible because they don't believe the Bible to be true, so it's a wasted argument. Why not? They use evolution to argue evolution. You know, can you stand on a hill and defend the hill at the same time? Absolutely, and that's what we need to do. And I know this may not make a lot of sense now, but we're going to pull this together to show you that you must use the Bible to argue creation. You must, because if you don't, you will lose. You've lost the debate already. I told you I'm biased. Everybody is. It's just a matter of which bias is the best bias to which to be biased with. And my bias is the scriptures. 
we have so many laws of nature that are wonderful to look at. Now, kids, you listen up here, okay? I'm going to teach you to make something very powerful here. Thermite. Okay, thermite can burn so hot that if you would take a spoonful of thermite and stick it on the hood of your mom and dad's car and light it, it would melt a hole through the hood of the car, even through the engine block. It burns that hot. And I'm going to tell you how to make it. All you need is rust. Get some iron, you know, rusty nails. Just get the rust off of there. And then some aluminum filings. Like here's some aluminum foil. Aluminum and rust makes thermite. I know what you're going to be doing 4th of July. I know you parents are thinking, are you that brain dead? What are you doing? Well, I feel safe telling you how to make thermite because I know you won't be able to get it lit. You can take a torch to that and you still won't get it to light. It takes extreme temperatures to get it to light. So you can make it, but you won't be able to use it. But I have here a rusty old steel ball. Another one here. And all I did is I put a little piece of tin foil over it. So I have rust and aluminum, iron and aluminum. In essence, thermite. Well, there's a law of friction. Friction allows me to walk across this room, pushing off. And it can get very hot. If you rub your hands together really quick, you get warm hands, right? That's friction. If I put these together, it's going to get really hot. That's friction. I just lit thermite. Because I can get temperatures of 25,000 degrees to go with that. And that's all it is. This is a law of science. Now this works whether I go to Africa or India or here in the United States. The same law works. Works all the time. Okay? Just thermite. That law is consistent. Now, there are other laws that we can look at. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever seen these air zookas. We have what, what's called a toroidal vortice here. Now, these air zookas will take a circle of air, and I can shoot it across the room. I can shoot you guys. Okay? You can see people jumping and their hair moving. Uh, obviously won't be able to shoot all of you here, but a few of you. Now, you can see that there are, I'm shooting this quite a ways. I can shoot people way in the back of the room even. Okay? You know something is happening because I'm seeing shirts going and hair going and people going. But you can't see what's happening, can you? But you can feel it. Something's going on, but we don't know what it is. Well, it's a law of science. My aim's off. There we go. It's a toroidal vortice. Now, I thought, well, maybe it's just not big enough for us to see it. We just can't see it because it's too small. So we thought, why not supersize it? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Same effect. Yeah, see? Same effect, but even supersizing this thing, I can't, I can't see what's going on. So we had this idea, well, maybe what we need to do is, this is still kind of warming up, we're going to take some fog from a fogger here, and we're going to fill it with smoke, artificial smoke, you know, fogger. Now, 
This is kind of the way it is in this world, guys. We're living in this world and there are things going on all around us. But we can't see it. We can't understand it. We don't know what's happening because we're not filled with something. And what we're going to do is fill this, which is going to be kind of a representation of the Holy Spirit. Now, while that warms up, I'm going to show you one more thing and I'll come back to that. Here's another law. Have a bag here. And let's see, do I have some young kid here that feels... You want to see how much air you have in your lungs? Who'd like to do this? Just, I need a volunteer. How about you? Can you do this? Yeah, come up right over here to the bottom. We're going to see uh, you know, how much air he has in his lungs. We're going to see how manly he is here, okay? So you just take and go, just a deep breath. Blow into that bag as much air as you can get, okay? And we'll see how manly he is. All right. This is about how much air. That's how much of a man he is right there, okay? Don't worry. You're growing up. Someday you can be a man like me. You see, I'm going to take this, and I'm going to show you what I can do. Thank you. This is called Bernoulli's Principle. You see, I cheated because only a little bit of that came out of my mouth. Most of it was the air in this room because I created a low pressure going into this bag so it was sucking air from inside the room around the bag to go into it. Whoops, I had a little hole in there so I didn't get it as big. See, that's, a, and by the way, this is a practical example too, like if your host, uh, house is filled with smoke, with like mine often is, <laughs> because of the science camps that I do, you, you don't put the fan in the doorway. You put the fan about a foot or two back from the door, and then it will cause the smoke to go out of the room a lot faster. It's Bernoulli's principle, okay? Now, these are laws that again, no matter where I go in the world, it's the same. So let me show you here, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, then all of a sudden we can see these laws and have an understanding of what's going on around us. Now as these go by, you can see that they're kind of rolling back on themselves. These are called toroidal vortices. I show you this because, again, these laws are the same no matter where I go, even in outer space. Gravity is in outer space, just as it is here on Earth. These laws are the same. Now, if evolution is true, even the laws that we have should have evolved differently because they are a product of evolutionary chance processes. Where did this uniformity in the laws of nature come from if evolution could not produce it. They don't know. They can't explain it. But yet the Bible tells me that these laws are a reflection of who God is. And evolutionists will try to explain this by saying they're consistent throughout time. Well, laws are just consistent. That's just the way it is. Yeah, I understand that is the way the laws are. They're consistent. But why? They can't answer the why. They'll say, well, operational science, we can't function without it. I know you can't function without it, but that doesn't answer the question, why is it that way? The only answer 
is a biblical one, and that is that God has created this world. He has created these laws. Just like the Bible says, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night shall not cease. As long as this earth is there, it's going to operate under the principles that God has made. These laws. They cannot answer it. Yet, the funny thing is, is they can't use science without practicing it. They can't practice science, I should say, without using the idea that laws of nature are uniform throughout the universe. I like that. And here's why. They will respond by saying things like, well, everyone knows that laws are consistent. I, again, I know, but why? They can't answer that. Well, the properties of matter just behave in that way. Yes, I know they do, but why? It always has, so it always will. Uh, that's the point. <laughs> why? Ask an evolutionist these questions. Where does where do morality come from? Where does the, the, the uniformity in the laws of nature come from? They can't answer it. And here's why I like it the most. You see, they're standing on biblical principles, and they don't even know it. They are using biblical principles to even operate in science. And they don't even know it. They're standing on our ground. You know, the Quran, the Quran, it speaks of the gospel, but yet the funny thing is, is it denies it at the same time. Likewise, these evolutionists are standing on Christian ground while denying the Bible to be true at the same time. That's what they're doing. So, their whole idea that truth can be found only through empirical science is falling apart because they have to use biblical principles that go outside of empirical science, in a sense. Now, I'll explain what that means here a little bit more as we go. But every time I do a debate, an evolutionist tells me this. They'll say, listen, we just want to talk about science. We don't want to talk about the Bible and all this religious stuff. Now, many creationists will say, okay, that's fine. We're just going to talk about science. And they'll come in and do an intelligent design approach. Many churches will do the same thing. You can't. But they say what we want is we want neutral ground. Guys, that's not neutral ground. That's like saying, hey, I'd like to have a sword fight with you, but you can't bring your sword. That's not neutral. <laughs> They're bringing their worldview into it, aren't they? Why can't I bring mine? Because I'm going to use the same scientific principles, the same scientific laws, the same scientific data. I just will interpret that data differently with my worldview, a biblical one. So for me to not use the Bible is not coming on neutral ground. You see, Romans says this, the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God. It does not subject itself to the law of God, for it's not even able to do so. The mind that's set on the flesh only, the world only, apart from God, set God aside, let's be neutral, that's hostile to God. That's ultimately what Romans is saying. You can't argue without the Bible. As soon as I come in and say, you know, step on their so-called neutral ground, I have lost the debate because I have no ground, no foundation to stand on anymore. Now it is foolishness. It is silly. There is no such thing as neutral ground. As, 
as Jason Lyle says from, from ICR, he says, you know, there's, there's two things you need to understand. They're not neutral, and you shouldn't be. That's really the bottom line of that issue. Titus says we hold fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. We hold fast to the word of God. Be proud that you are a Christian and do not apologize for that. And if you do that, you will be consistent scientifically, theologically, and in every other area. No one is neutral because we bring in our worldview, as I said. Now, one of the things that they'll say is, well, we've got two things. One, relativism, right? That there is no such thing as truth. There's no absolutes. And you guys have probably heard this, right? People say, well, there's no such thing as truth. Everybody's opinion counts. There isn't just a truth. Well, yes, there is. First of all, when somebody tells you there's no such thing as truth, ask them, is that true? You see, their very statement itself is inconsistent. Yeah, they're saying it's something to be true, yet they're saying it can't be true. Somebody might say empirical science, as I said. And what is empirical science? Observational science. If you want to find truth, the only way to find truth is through observation, using the scientific methods. Let's go into a chemistry lab, whatever. Well, let me ask you this. How much does love weigh? How much you know, does depression weigh? Oh, so love doesn't exist? Depression isn't really? You see, it is impossible. Now, even this. Truth can only be found through empirical science. All right. Go prove that statement true using empirical science. <laughs> See, your statement can't even be proven true. Again, this is an illogical inconsistency. And this is why we can be proud to be Christians, guys, because I'm standing on the Bible unapologetically, and I know that the Bible is true. I know there are absolutes. I know that we have laws of logic. I know we have laws of morality. I know that we have uniformity in the laws of nature. And the Bible explains why I have every one of those. Yet an evolutionist is being inconsistent with their naturalism, saying truth can only be found through empirical science, when in fact they can't even prove that to be true. Saying relativism, you know, that... Truth is relative, it's what you think. Well, then there is no truth, and they can't even prove that statement to be true. Saying that they're neutral when they're not. The being, saying the Bible is irrelevant to science, when in fact science doesn't even operate without those laws that are biblical. See, one is consistent and one is not consistent. Whether you believe in God or not, just logic tells you this should make sense. The problem is this, an evolutionist has no ground to stand on for science. They can't use logic, they can't use morality, they can't use the uniformity in the laws of nature because those are biblical principles. They're standing on nothing. But they do anyway, don't they? They stand on our ground. They're trespassing. And I'm going to say this, guys, they either need to be saved <laughs> get to know Jesus, or get off our land. Stop using biblical principles to try and say the Bible's not true. That's what they need to do. 
because they have no explanation for those things. We didn't really get into the laws of logic much, but logic, everybody thinks the same logically whether you're on this side of the earth or the other side of the earth. And again, your brains being chance chemicals and enzymes, you shouldn't think logically the same. We ought to think differently, but we don't. I have yet to hear a single evolutionist anywhere in the world give an adequate explanation for where those three, three things came from, but yet the Bible tells me where all of them come from. Logic, God created us to think the way He thinks. He set that in our hearts, in our minds. That's what logic is. It's a reflection of the way God thinks and how He expects us to think. It's, it's in God's nature even to be logical. So how do we respond? You wanna, this is something that you can use to win every argument that an evolutionist would bring up ultimately. Now, what I'm doing here is I'm giving kind of a summary of a book called Ultimate Proof of Creation. And we've got it up on the table or there's some DVDs of it. The bottom line is this. The first thing we do is we present the Christian worldview. And then the second thing we do is we show them how their worldview is wrong. So we present the truth and show them what they believe is wrong. Now, this is all going to be based on, really, Proverbs. But there's other verses as well that will touch into it. Like he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. That's what we have to do, preach the gospel. So, 2 Timothy tells us that we, with gentleness, correct those who are in opposition. If somebody doesn't agree with me, I don't get upset with them. I pray for them. But I, I love those people still. We're to love our enemies. You know, Jesus said if we only love those who love us, that's pretty easy. <laughs> even, the, even our enemies do that. They love their own friend enemies. But we have a job to love and take care of. Don't be calling your teacher stupid and whatnot because they believe in evolution. They're probably very intelligent. It's just that they have a different worldview. You need to pray that God would open their eyes. That God would grant them repentance, it says here. In 2 Corinthians, we cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So let me explain here how we're going to use Proverbs as an example. Proverbs says this in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 26. It says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. So don't answer a fool according to his folly. And then it says, answer a fool according to his folly. Huh? Don't answer a fool according to his folly. Answer a fool according to his folly. Huh? What is this saying in Proverbs 26, 4 and 5? Well, it's very simple. What he's saying is we need to reflect their foolishness. Don't answer a fool according to his foolish worldview. Answer a fool according to his folly. Reveal, reflect back his folly to him. Don't use his folly, reflect it back to him. Show him his foolishness. And that's ultimately what we're supposed to do. Don't become a fool, reflect the foolishness back to the fool. Give you some examples. If somebody would come up to you and say, I think the Bible is filled with contradictions. I would say to them this, I'm going to show them my worldview. I'm going to say, I don't accept the Bible has contradictions, but if it did have contradictions, why would that be wrong? 
You see the problem? What gives them, what moral judgment? They're making a moral judgment that it's wrong to be contradictory. Well, where do they get that moral judgment from? <laughs> Don't judge me. <laughs> Isn't that a judgment? Ultimately, that's what they're doing. People say, you know, I think that only empirical science is where truth can be found. You can say, well, I don't accept your belief in naturalism, but if it were true, it would be impossible to prove anything since logic couldn't exist to begin with. You're using logical mindsets to try and come up with an explanation. In essence, what I'm trying to show you is this. We are trying to go back to one of three things, logic or morality or the uniformity in the laws of nature. Bill Nye the science guy just here you know, a month or so ago came out and said it's child abuse basically and, and just silly for you parents to teach your kids about creation because we need true scientists out there. Well, I would say this to Bill Nye. I don't agree that it's wrong for me to teach my child creation but because I'm lying to my kids. I don't agree with that. But if it were true, why is it wrong to lie to kids? Where are you getting your moral judgment from? They can't explain. Well, it's wrong. To, well, why? Why is it wrong to lie to kids? You can't tell me that. You see, you're backing them into a logical corner. They can't explain it. You know, God is evil. God killed people, all these. That's an evil God. Your God's not a God of love. Well, I don't believe that God is not a God of love, but if he were not a God of love, why is it so bad that he kills children? innocent children. What's so wrong about that? Now granted, I don't agree with the fact that he is, but if it were true, why would it be wrong? They're making a moral judgment. And those are the kind of things that we can do, is that we attack by backing them into a corner, showing them that they have no ground to stand on, that they're standing on biblical principles of morality and logic and so on. Since 1969 in the UK, there have been 1,500 churches that have closed their doors. 1,500. They're now tattoo parlors, they're rock climbing buildings, whatever the case might be. Why? Well, what happened is the idea of evolution crept into the UK. Evolution stripped the authority of Scripture away, and now in the UK, hardly anybody believes that the Bible is accurate that it's really true, it's as an authority. This is what amazes me. We're, as Christians, we're so excited to get the Bible back into schools. Get the Bible back into schools. Guys, what, what's the big deal? If we get the Bible back into schools, you know what's going to happen? It'll sit on the shelf and collect dust. Nobody's going to read it. And even if they do read it, they won't believe that it's true anyway. They'll read it just as if it was a fairy tale. Getting the Bible back into schools isn't the answer. Getting the authority back into the Bible. That's the answer. Even in the churches, it's lost its authority. There's a book out on the table that we have called Already Gone, and I'm just going to sum up here a little bit of what this is. Ken Ham hired Britt Beamer. He's a pollster, much like Barna, and they, they polled people who left the church, kids in their mid-twenties, who left the church to find out why they were leaving the churches. And it's kind of surprising to find out. Ultimately, the answer is this. They didn't believe the Bible is an authority anymore. And here was the most shocking thing of the book. 
Do you know that if you sent your kids to Sunday school, they were worse off had they not gone to Sunday school? Well, why is that? Why were they worse off? Well, statistics don't answer the whys necessarily always. However, I think there's a good explanation, but let me show you this first, just to give you an idea of what I mean by they were worse off. When asked, do you believe evolution is the origin of human beings, what percent agree with this? If you had Sunday school background, the one on the left, 24.6% of the people who left the church said, yes, I believe evolution is the origin of human beings, while only 18% of those that did not have Sunday school. When asked, is premarital sex okay if you had Sunday school background? 59%, 53% if you didn't go to Sunday school. When asked, good people don't need to go to church, do you agree with that? 39% of Sunday school goers, yet only 28.9% of non-Sunday school goers. When asked, is church irrelevant? 46 versus 39%. That's just a small sample. Across the board, it was more liberal thinking from those who went to Sunday school. The question is why. Like I said, I don't know if we can answer it completely outside of this. You see, what happens is when they go to college, their first year of college, they're hearing things like anthropology and all these other things that they never heard in Sunday school. They never heard in their high schools and in their elementary schools. They never heard it at home. And they sit back there and they think, whoa, I never knew this stuff. And I went to church my whole life. I even went to Sunday school. If the church had answers, I think they'd have told me. They must not have any answers. Had they not gone to Sunday school, they go, whoa, I never knew this, but I should have probably gone to Sunday school and maybe I'd have heard why this isn't true. And so they kind of hold out a little bit longer. That's exactly what happened to me. I grew up in a Christian home, but like I said, I didn't know if dinosaurs existed or not. I wasn't given the explanations. And when I went to my first year at college at Minot State University in North Dakota, that's all it took. And I started to believe in evolution in one year. Because I went to Sunday school my whole life. Now, there is a sequel to this book as well. And the sequel to the book is called Already Compromised. So they went and they polled 200 of the most Bible-believing, conservative Christian universities throughout our country. 200. 194 of those schools responded back, which was remarkable. And sadly, only about a half dozen of those schools passed the test initially. What test? The test to holding that the Bible is inspired, inerrant, and an authority. That's it. Don't think that you can send your children to a Christian university today and expect that they're going to get a Christian biblical education because our Christian universities are compromising. If you want to know which schools passed, there's a website called creationcolleges.org creationcolleges.org and you can go and see which one you can even look at the questions that were asked see which schools took the test and which ones passed their name's not on there you know it failed if it was on the list of those that took the test by the way music was not the answer 
either. You know, we keep thinking, a new program, that'll keep kids in church. A new pro no, it's not going to keep them in church. If kids want fun, they can find that outside of church. That's not the answer. Kids want answers. That's what they want. They want answers to real questions. Divorce, homosexuality, abortion, pornography, aliens, creation. They want answers to these things. And that's what they're looking for. I want to see, do any of you have any questions about anything that we've talked about so far? Like I say, it's going to get lighter from here on out. Yeah. Why do, we, why do they teachers think it's okay to teach the theory of evolution as a law, as truth? I think it's because we've all been brainwashed. And we don't stand firm on the word. We don't stand up for truth. You know, it's just like, really, Adolf Hitler and, and the Nazi regime, it, it wasn't a majority of the people. It, it, sometimes we can get a minority of the people, and the, the minority will take the country a whole different direction. Likewise, it is with the schools. If Christians would stand up, if we would be the squeaky wheels and we would be going to those board meetings and saying, I am not allowing my children to learn this, I'm going to pull them out of the course. You know, they do that for Christian things. You know, if a Christian thing is at the school, they give them a right weather than that option out. You say, my kid's not going to go to this. Parents need to do that. We believe the lie. Many teachers don't even realize what their law, the law even says. If a student asks about creation and asks questions about that, the teacher has every legal right to answer it. Technically, a teacher should, can't even teach creation according to what the laws say. My DVD on uh, commonly asked questions will go through some of the laws that have been passed and shows you that by law, a teacher can teach creation. Stephen Jay Gould, a very famous evolutionist, even said that. And he says, unfortunately, unfortunately, some do. Even though the law says that, however, these teachers are getting fired. Even though they're within their legal rights, our society is bought into it. The ACLU steps in a lot of times and threatens, just kind of throws their weight around. Um, oftentimes, if there's a, I'll go into a school or other uh, Christian speakers will go into a school, and you know we won't talk about God at that time or anything like that, but we have people coming in and threatening the ACLU is you know, going to sue us and all this. Well, if the principal and the superintendent will just take a stand and say, go ahead, ACLU, sue us. The ACLU knows that they have no ground to stand on, so they just back off. But how many principals and superintendents are willing to take the stand and not be threatened? So I think a big part of it is we've been brainwashed because we just don't accept that. And, and brainwashing is a huge thing. We all get brainwashed after we hear something enough. I mean, you, sports. You guys like sports, right? I hear your Husker fans here. Oh, no? Okay. <laughs> well, don't worry, I'm not either. But um, sports, we, we think sports are important. Why? Sports helps build character. You guys believe that lie? <laughs> sports builds character? You believe it? Because if that's true, the NFL and the NBA ought to be teaming with it. Yeah, you don't find character in the NFL. If you do, it's from a Christian athlete, isn't it? God's Word builds character. But we have heard this so many times, we've, we've begun to believe it. We've heard the earth is millions of years old so many times that we begin to believe it. We hear that you can't talk about God in schools and creation in schools so many times that we believe it. 
we've bought into the lie because it's just propagated so much out there. Go ahead. Absolutely. Absolutely. Science is faith-based because we apply a worldview to it. That's why evidence does not convince anybody. That's why evidence falls short, because it is a faith. That's why even an evolutionist has faith. Or I should say an atheist has faith. You know, I, don't, I don't believe in God. Well, first of all, that's really stupid. You have to be the most arrogant man in the world to be an atheist. Because to be an atheist says that you know everything. Because you run into an atheist, give them the atheist test. It says something like this. Do you have all the knowledge there is that, have, that it could ever be learned in the entire universe? Do you know all of it? Well, of course not. How about three quarters of it? No. Half of it? No. A quarter of it? No. An eighth of it? No. A sixteenth of it? Well, sure. So that means in the fifteen sixteenths of the information that's out there that you don't know, could there be evidence that God does exist? Ah, so you're not an atheist. You're an agnostic. You don't know if God exists. But you can't be an atheist because to be an atheist says you know all the information. You've looked at it all, and there's no evidence that God exists. And so, yeah, everybody has faith. And science is a faith because we apply our worldview, our faith to it. Absolutely. Anything else? God creates a baby in a womb. How can you not see that? Well, you and I who have had our eyes opened by the Spirit of God, we look at that and we go, yeah, how can anybody deny this? But an evolutionist, this is why I say, guys, it's not a scientific battle either. It's a spiritual one. The Bible says this, the natural man cannot understand the spiritual things of God. Okay? The gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. You see, they're blind. You wouldn't get upset with me if there was a blind person that came in here, stepping on your toes, knocking over my computer. I mean, I, who of you would say, hey, watch where you're going, you dumb blind man? No, you wouldn't say that. That'd be wrong and rude. Likewise, these people who don't see it are blind, and that's why we don't get upset with them. We play, pray for them because it's a spiritual battle. There is, why is it that people get so upset about creation? You can disagree on politics, you can, you know, get upset a little bit, but I'll tell you, you start talking about creation and people get mad when you start talking about God. Why? Because there's something spiritual behind this. Okay? The God of this age has blinded the eyes of men. And these people do not want to come into the light for fear that their deeds might be exposed. So I think that's why it's a spiritual battle. Anything else? Yes. Yeah, whatever the press says, whatever society says, that's what morality has become. It's inconsistent to believe that, but I would say that the status quo, yeah. Morality is what makes them feel good, what's best for them, what they decide, not what God's Word says or what's logically consistent. So, yes. Yeah, the balance of environmentalism which is a religion in itself, absolutely. Worshiping the creation rather than the creator, as Romans says. And bottom line is this, where is the balance? 
yeah, the balance is we trust God, we don't live in fear, and we know that God says that he's going to take care of us and he's going to take care of the earth. So, but we do we have a responsibility. Should we recycle and things like that? Absolutely we should. We should take care of what God has given us, whether it be as an earth, whether it be as a home, as it be a car, as it be a child, we take care of it. But when it comes to one of those things that we live in fear and you know, we're relying on the government to do it for us and all of those kind of things, I would say then we've gotten out of balance. I can tell you this as well. Uh, in my DVD, Do Aliens Exist? Uh, I'm not going to get into that too much right now outside of the fact of this. I, I do not believe in aliens as you think of them, but I do believe in them as demons. And what we see when people get abducted by aliens, which does happen, by the way, one of the most common themes of these so-called aliens is environmental issues. Greenpeace, global warming, you can save the planet, you have to do this. It's, a, it's an effort, and there's, that, that's not an accident that we, we have that kind of creation worship being pushed that way. So when it comes to global warming as an example, I think global warming is a political hoax. Is there a warming that has taken place? Absolutely, but it is so tiny, and it has been measured only within the last few years, the last 50 years, really, where we've been measuring this. So we're basing everything on the last 50 years, and the, measure, the, the growth that has taken place is so small, it means nothing. So <clears throat> there's plenty of evidence supporting the fact that this is cyclical, that if you'd go back 150 years, that we were right back where we were right now. And 100 years ago, it was colder. And we're seeing it starting to swing again and all these type of things. So it's cyclical, and there's evidence that supports that sunspots or sun solar flares have something to do with this, why these cyclical patterns. But as far as what we think of when we hear of global warming, it is an absolute political hoax not supported by science at all. We only hear one side of the issue. We hear that things are, you know, like the, the um, uh, ice sheets are melting away. And yet, you can go to other parts and they're growing. But they pick and choose which, part, which evidence they want to show you. You know, this thing at the zoo, um, can't remember the name of it, but the polar bears and all of this, this ice, and they go there. I mean, that is one of the most, you know, propaganda-filled movies I've seen in a long time, and they talk about these polar bears are dying and they can't live in hot environments, and yet you've got one in your zoo when it was 105 degrees that day. <laughs> you know, it's just silly. So, yeah, it's just a, a hoax, but yes, we do have a responsibility, but we just have to be careful. Yeah. Yeah, the sun is shrinking by about five feet per hour. Over 11 million tons of matter disappear. And so this is through observational science. So that means that if you go back five hours ago, the sun should have been 25 feet bigger. You go back 6,000 years ago, it wouldn't have been a real big deal. But you go back a million years, and it would be a big deal. Okay, Venus would be absorbed. 11 million years ago, the Earth would be touching the sun. Earth couldn't be here. So that means the Earth can't even be 11 million years old, let alone the 4.6 billion, they're saying. My DVD, Scientific Evidences of a Young Earth, will just show you those scientific evidences saying there's no way the Earth could be as old as what they're saying. And there are many, many of those things. Yes. 
Mayan calendar, things lining up that way. Uh, that's just, again, that's paganism. I, I hold no merit. I, it doesn't even bother me. I don't even research it because what's the point? It's an anti-God philosophy. And the Bible says we're supposed to stay away from that stuff. So I do. Uh, the Bible gives us other indications. I'm more interested in what the Bible says prophecy is happening. Um, that's where I like to study a little bit more to see the signs of the times and the handwriting on the wall, not the Mayan calendar. So I don't think much of that at all. Now, with that said, there is very neat astronomical things that we can see that line up with Scripture. I knew a man who believed that he could date the day of creation. I mean, even tell us it was a Tuesday of whatever, okay? Uh, May something it was of 4004 B.C. Now, you hear that and you go, okay, that guy's crazy. Well, I sat down two days with him sitting around a table going through Scripture verses and whatnot, and I was amazed, and I don't think he's so crazy after all. 1995-ish, National Geographic had a big article that said, you need to, to go look this evening. There's going to be uh, like five of the planets were going to be within a 15-degree alignment, something like that. And this has not happened in millions of years. And this was put out by the Harvard Astrophysics Department. So he wrote a letter to the Harvard Astrophysics Department and said, check out this date, May whatever of 4004 B.C., and I have a copy of the letter back from the Harvard, Physics, Harvard Astrophysics Department. And they say, you're right. But, of course, this never got back in National Geographic. You check that out. Nine, all nine planets are within two degrees of alignment. There's a book or a verse in Isaiah that seems to indicate that when God created the world, that the planets were arrayed like an army. You might think lined up. And so it almost seems that God maybe had created it there, and then they started winding in their orbits after that. Okay, just a possibility, but it is interesting, and he has other things to support that he wasn't so crazy after all. But um, there is some astronomical evidence that we can look at that gives us some very interesting biblical points. Some other astronomy. We know that um, uh, they tell you in our textbooks that it takes billions of years for a red, or a, a red giant star to turn into a white dwarf. That's what, it's a fact in our textbooks. They say, we see stars forming. Really? I've never seen a star form. Have you guys ever looked in the Big Dipper and thought, whoa, I wasn't there last night? Never. You have never seen a star form. And they say, oh, yes, we do. There's one right there. And they go, oh, oh, you mean that ball of gas out there? Yep, that's a star forming. No, you see, that's a ball of gas that you believe is a star forming, that in a billion years is going to be a star. That's different than seeing a star form. That's believing you're seeing a star forming. Big difference. Well, anyway, we have six different historical records telling us that the uh, star Sirius was a red star. Seneca, Ptolemy, the Egyptian records, all the way from 2000 B.C. up to 150 A.D. telling us it was a red star. Today it's a white binary star. Right there, history proves their textbooks are wrong. So I love astronomy, but not for this kind of stuff. Not for, for that. Yes. God created man in his own image, but who created God? Well, nobody created God, because as the Bible says, God is eternal. And so I say, you know what? You can't understand that. You can't figure that out. Here's But an evolutionist will say this. Ah, because when we talk about that atomic particle, we say 
matter can't be eternal because of the second law, which says everything's wearing out and decaying. So you, you can't have an eternal amount of energy in something. So they say, well, if matter can't be eternal, my atomic particle can't be, then God can't be eternal. I say, yes, he can, because you see, God made these laws. He's outside of those laws. He can be eternal. You won't be able to understand that any more than you can just, you know, describe what green is to a man who has been blind from birth. We aren't able to understand eternity. You just can't do it. Our minds can't grasp that. But the Bible says that he's eternal, so I give him a biblical answer, and it's not scientifically inconsistent because it would say that he is outside of the laws having created them. So, yes. Matthew 24, is this, uh, you know, all these storms and increase in earthquakes and things, is that happening? Well, you know, I can't say for sure, but I suspect it is. I think a lot of these things are happening. And what will the world do with that outside of give some scientific bogus explanation of something like global warming or global cooling or global change, something like that. Um, but, yeah, I think that we're seeing the signs of the time that uh, there's an increase in these things. Um, but I think there's even more signs that are even, you know, easier to tell that are going on even beyond that. But, yeah. I do think that that's Matthew 24 type of thing happening. Yes. What do you tell small children about God? And I can't see them. I show them other things that they can't see. Can you, hear the, can you see the radio waves coming through? To, that yet you have this radio antenna that picks them up. Okay? You can turn on your TV. Can you see those waves coming in? But yet we know He's there. And so one thing is show them that there are other things that are around us that you can't see, but we know they're there. Likewise, if we have that antenna, the Holy Spirit up, <laughs> you do see God. Ray Comfort would use, uh, tell a story about this uh, father, and uh, he tells his son not to touch this heater that's in their house. He says, don't touch the heater, it's hot. The kid now has an intellectual knowledge that the heater is hot. Well... One day, because people keep telling him, no, the heater's not hot, you know, kind of like people saying, no, God's not real. He decides that he's going to go test it out. And so he goes and he touches the heater and he sears his hand. He leaves some of his skin on that heater. Now he went from an intellectual knowledge that the heater was hot to an experiential knowledge that the heater was hot. Now, you can have an electrician come in and say, hey, kid, you didn't burn your, your hand on that heater. It's not even plugged into the wall. You can have somebody come in and say, there's no way, because even if it was plugged into the wall, it's broken here. There's no way that it would be able to have heat. You didn't burn your hand on that heater. Is that kid going to believe the electrician, the plumber, his father, anybody? Not a chance, because he has experienced the heat of that heater. And when we experience God's love, I don't care what people tell me, I've reached out and I've touched the heater of God's love, and there is no way that you're going to be able to tell me that God doesn't exist because I can't see Him. I see Him all over the place. Third thing, the Bible says this, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from that which has been made so that men are without excuse I'm going to show them God's creation, like what we did at church today, showing them the animals. This couldn't be. This is God. And you can see God's power, qualities, and nature through that creation. Fourth thing, I'm going to take them to the Bible, and I'm just going to show them the Scriptures. And I'm going to show them what the Scriptures say about God, you know, uh, spiritual aspect, all these things, and that someday you will see them. So that's what I tell kids.
combination of things. Anything else? Yes. Yeah, uh, you're pushing one of my favorite buttons here. Um, ancient man in the intelligence, we're going to talk about this in this five, but by the way, the five o'clock session, like I said, is going to be so different than what we've done here. This is deep stuff, and maybe for you kids, not as interesting, but uh, from five o'clock on, your third graders are going to love it, and you will too. One of the things we're going to talk about is that ancient man aspect and how that all fits into things. I won't have time to talk about this, so I'll tell you now. One of the things, this is why we have so many people talking about aliens. What we're finding in the fossil record, what we see in the pyramids and Machu Picchu and all these other different places, we can't do. We don't have the technology, we don't have the intelligence to do these things, so if we're not smart enough to do it, who could be? The only explanation with an evolutionary worldview is aliens. And by the way, that's inconsistent because where'd they get the information from, right? It just moves the problem to outer space rather than being here on Earth. But that's why we see even Discovery Channel, History Channel, you know, putting this stuff on as if it's a fact, too, that aliens have existed. Well, there are also reasons why they even get the dates of saying how old they are. You can go to Jericho, they'll say Jericho's 9,000 years old. Why? Well, because they're in the wrong time zone. All, we hear about the dating methods a lot. I want you to understand something. The dating methods that date the rocks, you know, radioisotope dating methods, you don't need to be fearful of them. We've got a geology set up on the uh, table, or my DVD, the dating methods, which will show you a lot about the dating methods. But in a nutshell, just to give you a couple of quick things, I'm going to kind of sidetrack here a little bit to answer your question. This is going to be a long answer. Dating methods, if you believe in Noah's flood, you can't believe in the dating methods. If I would get a rock to get dated and I pick it up out of a river, I can't date it. Why? Because water leaches in or leaches out elements I need to measure to date the rock. So an evolutionist will take painstaking care to make sure a rock has never been near a river, a lake, or a stream. Do you think Noah's flood would screw that up a little bit? <laughs> this is why you will never find an evolutionist that will accept Noah's flood as being a global flood. They can't to be consistent with the dating methods. One reason. Second thing, let's say I get a rock to get dated, I send it into the lab. They call me up and they say, Mr. Young, where'd you get this rock? I say, oh man, I, I, I can't remember where this one came from. Well, then they say, we can't date your rock. Why not? Because I have to tell them how old my rock is before they can tell me how old my rock is. Same scenario, Mr. Young, where'd you get this rock? Oh, I found it south of town in a limestone layer. I just told them how old it was because I told them the layer of earth it was in. That layer of earth has already been given a date according to the theory of evolution, a range. If I find like a fossilized plesiosaur type thing, that's in the range of 325 million years old in the Jurassic period. So they date my rock. If it dates 600 million years old, oh, something's wrong with that. Let's try it again. If it dates 100 million, oh, too young, something's wrong with that to be in that layer. They will date rocks and up to 80% of the dates are cast out. They select out the dates that fit their worldview. That's not good science. And there are many, many more problems with the dating methods, but that's just a couple. But those are things that date rocks, fossils, stuff like that. 
How about archaeology? When we're hearing that this is 10,000 years old and 9,000 years old, they're not getting that from the dating methods. In Israel, many archaeologists will use the carbon dating methods, but they hardly ever will publish those dates because they never agree with the pottery and the history. That ought to tell you something about carbon dating right there. So where are they getting the dates? Because of these uh, dynasties called uh, the Egyptian dynasties, a man named Manetho, who was a, an Egyptian priest, when Alexander the Great conquered Egypt in 332 B.C., or 3, 322, 332, I think 332 B.C., he had this Egyptian priest leave a record of the pharaohs. Well, the problem is we don't have what Manetho said. There's no writings of him ever been found. All we have are people quoting him, like Ptolemy, Josephus, people like that. They say in there that Manetho said many of these kings ruled at the same time, contemporary. And if you think about it, Egypt is 1,000 kilometers, you know, over 600 miles long by about 12 kilometers wide. How are you going to, in one little chariot, rule 600 miles? That's going to be tough. So it even makes sense that you'd have a northern and a southern king ruling at the same time, possibly, which is what Manetho said. But the secular world has ignored that. And so all of our archaeology is based on these pharaohs ruling back, and it takes it back to 3100 B.C., roughly, on average, where they say the beginning of the dynasties ended. Well, if they ruled at the same time, and, and one other factor that I'm not going to get into, you could easily get rid of a thousand years of an Egyptian history saying that Egyptian history started about 2100 B.C., which fits better with the Bible anyway. When you do that, it changes things, and it makes things consistent for a change. Give you examples. If you watch the movie uh, Prince of Egypt, we see that Ramses was the pharaoh ruling. No, he wasn't. I've seen Ramses' body. I've seen his, the, the mummy of Ramses. My Bible says Pharaoh and his army are buried at the bottom of the Red Sea. It says it in Psalms, Pharaoh and his army. So you can't say that Ramses was the Pharaoh that Moses grew up with there, or a brother. Why do they say that? Well, because they're using secular dating, and they say that the Exodus... 1445 B.C. should have been in the 18th dynasty. Well, that's when Ramses is ruling. And this is why Time magazine said there is no evidence that Israel was ever in Egypt or even that Moses existed. The 18th dynasty is the most recorded of all dynasties in, in, in all of Egyptian history. And yet not one piece of evidence, even talking about, you know, a, river, a Nile River turning to blood, the Israelites being there, your whole army disappearing, nothing. So they say the Bible's wrong. However, with the corrected chronology, it puts it at the 12th dynasty. And when we look in the 12th dynasty, there is records of the Nile River turning to blood, a famine, a seven-year famine, where food was preserved and then distributed out equally to the widow as to the poor man. We see that there is a record of a pharaoh whose oldest son, Wa-Neferhotep, never ruled, and they don't know why. Well, it would have been because Neferhotep is the father, Wa-Neferhotep the son. Remember the Passover? He dies. Neferhotep's body has never been found. 
And shortly after Neferhotep, we see that the Egyptian army is, uh, or the Egyptian country is conquered, but without a battle. How do you conquer a leading world power without a battle? Well, perhaps if their army is at the bottom of the Red Sea. I mean, everything fits perfectly. And so the dates that they give, I think, are incorrect because of the Egyptian dynasties being interpreted wrong. And many secular Egyptologists are now beginning to say that this is wrong. And as you correct it, everything we see in archaeology that they say is a contradiction is proving to be true. Kathleen Kenyon excavated Jericho in the 1950s, and it was from the Middle Bronze I period. And she says, see, your Bible's wrong because this collapsed in the Middle Bronze I period. The Israelites weren't there yet. With the corrected timeline, it puts them the Israelites coming in in the Middle Bronze I period, and so Kathleen Kenyon actually is proving it right. And that's just one of many examples. There's a book on the table called Unwrapping the Pharaohs, or my DVD, Pharaohs of the Bible, that will go through this in greater detail. It'll just blow you away, and it corrects the historical dating to, to where everything fits then perfectly without having to adjust it every time you want to fit something in there. It's perfect all the way through. So we'll get into the ancient intelligence here coming up and why that is in this next session though. Well, I've got time for one more question and that's it. Yes. Okay, what seems to be more consistent? God speaking things into existence and expanding universe, all those kind of things. Well, there's two things with that. First of all, let me go the expanding universe aspect. One of the reasons we believe in the red, uh, uh, the Big Bang, people believe in the Big Bang is because we see the red shift of light. Everything's moving away from us. It's expanding universe. So if it's going away, you go back in time, it should go back to one point, Big Bang. No. The Bible says in three places that when God created the heavens, it says he stretched out the heavens. That's why we see the red shift of light. Same information, different interpretation. We're seeing the stretching out of the heavens. So that's why we see that. And then as far as God speaking things into existence, this is kind of maybe a little off, but... There's something called cymatics. We do this in our, our creation camps that we do. We take sand, stick it on a plate. You've got a speaker underneath the plate. Well, you just pour sand on there. As you play different tones, it immediately turns into shapes, things that look like plant cells. Just It'll change within just a, a split second to just beautiful patterns um, because sound has order. It, it's got an order to it. I don't put it past God. I'm not saying this is how he created things. But I don't put it past him that he could orchestrate things and order comes out of that. It makes it at least more tangible to understand that God could create things into existence. But when he spoke these things into existence, I do believe that it was closer together. And then he stretched it out, which also helps, by the way, with the, uh, the distant starlight issue and so on. But a good illustration to put in your mind, if you have a balloon, put two dots on the balloon before you blow it up. God created everything close. Now blow it up, expand the universe. Those two dots now go further apart. Okay? So I don't know if that answers what you were asking necessarily uh, with the expansion of the universe and speaking God's into existence, but I guess that's where my mind went with it. So, Well, guys, uh, we're going to give you a half-hour break if you want. Like I said, there are materials up top. Uh, you can uh, stick around and, and look at those. And at 5 o'clock, we're going to just give you some uh, other things, and I'll turn it over to Pastor here.